Who recognizes these characters? It's Marty and Doc. And what's the name of the, the movie? Back to the Future. In Back to the Future Part 2, Marty McFly travels to the future date of October 21st, 2015. Where it sounded like way, way in the future back when we saw the movie. Um, but he travels to this date in time to save his kids who were not yet born in 1985. And one of the things that Doc is always warning Marty about is how his actions and his interaction with people in the present could alter the outcome of events in the future. This morning, we're continuing our series called Our Foundation, Our Faith, and Our Future. And this morning, I want you to think with me about how the goals we pursue today shape our lives far into the future. This is called My Goals Over the Years. Goal number one, reading, 2011. I will read at least 20 good books a year. 2012, I will read at least 10 good books a year. 2013, I will read five good books a year. 2014, I will read some articles in the newspaper this year. 2015, I will try to finish the comics this year. Goal number two, weight control. 2011, I will get my weight down below 180. 2012, I will get my weight down below 200. 2013, I will try to develop a realistic attitude about my weight. 2014, I will work out three days a week. 2015, I will drive past the gym at least one day a week. And here's the last category, finances. 2011, I will pay off my bank loan promptly. 2012, I will begin making a strong effort to be out of debt by the end of the year. 2013, I will be out of debt by the end of the year. 2014, I will be out of debt by the end of the year. 2015, I will be out of the country by the end of the year. <laughs> I read this week that 95% of all Americans have never written down a single goal for their life. So if you've ever done that, you're in the top 5%. And as we talk about setting goals today, let me begin with this observation. Goal setting is biblical. Let me give you some examples. Moses had a goal to deliver God's people from slavery in Egypt. Joshua had a goal to lead God's people into the promised land. Jesus had a goal to do the will of his Father. A follower of Jesus in the first century named Paul had a very clear goal to follow Jesus with all of his heart. And he writes about this goal. This is from a translation of the Bible called The Message. And he says this, I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm often running and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal. Those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you has something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. And then Paul goes on and he says this. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed for this same goal. And that's really the people that are gathered here this morning. We're focused on that same goal. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easy street is a dead-end street. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? Easy street is a dead-end street. And that's because a goal requires effort. A goal requires effort. Here's a picture of a football player exerting great effort to reach his goal of getting into the end zone. It takes effort to reach your goals. And I want to take just a few moments 
to point out some of the benefits of setting goals. And here's the first benefit. A person with goals has direction in life. A person with goals has direction in life. Rather than just running around in circles or taking the path of least resistance, you know where you're headed. It's like the, the pilot who had a malfunction in his navigational equipment and he told the passengers on board the plane, I have bad news and good news. The bad news is I have no idea where we're headed. The good news is we're making really good time. Some people are very unclear about where they're headed in life, but man, they're making really good time. Here's another benefit of goals. A person with goals has an excitement about life. When you have clear goals, you're eager to get up in the morning and pursue these goals that God has helped you set. Your goals give you energy. And how many of you could use more energy in your life? That comes from having clear goals. And a person with goals tends to be emotionally healthier than a person without goals. And here's why. A person with goals is focused on the opportunities of the future rather than focusing on the failures and regrets of the past. Now here's another benefit of having goals. A person with goals has clearer priorities. You know what's important and what's not. When you have clear goals, it's easier to say no to things that distract you from reaching your goals. And here's the fourth. A person with goals is more creative. If you want to reach your goals, you have to persevere. Now listen, perseverance is not running into a wall and falling down and getting up and running into the same wall again and again. That is not perseverance. That is stupidity. This is perseverance. You run into the wall, you back up and you go, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so you try to figure out how you can go over the wall or around the wall or blow up the wall. And just that challenge alone brings out your God-given creativity. Now, we need to realize this as well. Just because you have goals doesn't mean you're going to experience God's success. Your goal could be to rob five convenience stores every month. That's not what you would consider a godly goal. And so this morning, here is the question that I want us to focus on. This is on your outline. What are the characteristics of a godly goal? That is a goal that honors God and enables us to experience his success. And I want to do this. I want us to look at a story in the Bible. It's found in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you've got one of the brown Bibles that we provided, it's going to be on page 227. This is one of my favorite Bible stories. I've heard it since I was a kid. It's a story of David and, who can tell me? David and Goliath. And here's what I want to do. I want to apply the principles that we're going to look at here in terms of goal setting to not just our personal lives, but to us as a church as we look at the goals we have for this capital stewardship campaign. So here we go. What are the characteristics of a godly goal? Well, first of all, it's based on God's purposes for us. A godly goal is always based on God's purposes for you and me. Now think about David. He is a shepherd boy who's going to become a king. And if you look at the flow of events in that book of 1 Samuel, in chapter 16, the prophet Samuel comes and anoints him as the next king of Israel. And then the next chapter is a story of David and Goliath. And so what we see is that this situation with Goliath is part of God's plan, part of God's purpose for David's life. And that is important for us, that the goals that we set are consistent with God's purposes for us. How many of you ever read a book by Pastor Rick Warren called The Purpose Driven Life? I know quite a few of you have read that book. We actually went through a study here in our church, and he points out that there are five purposes for our lives, and these come from Acts chapter 2. These are biblical purposes. They also apply to the church as a whole. 
And here is our purpose statement here at Boynton Beach Community Church. BBCC exists to reach seekers with the good news of Jesus Christ, to connect them to the local church through authentic relationships, and to help them grow in their relationship with Christ by equipping them to serve others as they honor God with their lives. Now, those are five purposes that God has for each one of our lives. God wants us to reach seekers, to connect through authentic relationships in a church family. He wants us to grow in our relationship with Christ. He wants us to serve. He wants us to honor him with our lives. That's really what worship is all about. And so here's what I want you to see. If you're trying to figure out if a goal you have is a godly goal, it needs to have some connection with these purposes for your life. Because what sense would it make for God to give you a goal that wasn't consistent with his purposes for your life and for mine? Look at this verse. It says this in 2 Corinthians. Our goal is to stay within the boundaries of God's plan for us. How many of you have ever heard this statement? The sky's the limit when setting goals. Ever hear a motivational speaker say that? Man, I've heard that so many times. And whenever I hear that, the sky's the limit, I think, oh, no, it's not. Sky's not the limit. God's sovereign will, God's sovereign purpose is the limit. And the Bible reminds us of that. Look at this verse from Proverbs. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. The Lord's purpose will prevail. For the past few weeks, I've been telling you that our goal for this capital stewardship campaign is to raise money to complete our billing addition and to pay off our debt. Now, is that goal consistent with God's purposes for us? Well, absolutely, because everything that will happen in the building addition is connected to one of those five purposes that we just looked at, godly purposes. And think about this. As we retire our debt, it frees more and more money for ministry. And we could do things like hire more staff. We could plant churches. We could strengthen our commitments with our ministry partners here locally and internationally as well. So the goals that we have for this campaign are godly goals. Now, here's another characteristic of a godly goal. Number two, its aim is to bring glory to God. I want you to notice that David's goal of killing Goliath is not based on his desire for fame or fortune. And this is rather interesting. King Saul tried to motivate his soldiers to fight Goliath by offering them several incentives. And if you've got your Bible open, look at verse 25 toward the end. It says this. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Speaking of Goliath, he will also give him his daughter in marriage. Not sure what his daughter thought about that. And will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. And I think that maybe this is what's going on. There are soldiers in King Saul's army that are fathers and sons. And it almost sounds like he's encouraging the fathers to tell their sons, hey, why don't you go fight that giant out there? Because listen, if you do, you'll get to marry the king's daughter and I will never pay taxes again. The goals that we set can be motivated by personal gain or by personal glory, and sometimes they are. Now, can you imagine the personal glory that one of Saul's soldiers would have gotten if he had actually killed Goliath? I mean, the guy would have been a national hero. He would have written a book and gone on tour and been interviewed on Fox News. I mean, this guy would be something. But obviously, this incentive isn't enough to convince any of these soldiers to fight the giant. So why does a teenage boy volunteer? Look at this next verse. This is verse 45. David said to the Philistine. David's actually talking to Goliath. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, 
the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know what a great warrior I am. Is that what David says? Now the whole world will know what? There is a God, an all-powerful, sovereign God in Israel. See, David saw Goliath as God's enemy, and David wanted God to get the credit for this victory over Goliath. And that is one of the main characteristics of a godly goal. We want God to get the glory. And I'll tell you this, I, I don't know how people in our church family are going to respond to this capital stewardship campaign, but I do know this, that our goal is for God to get the glory. Well, here's another characteristic of a godly goal. Number three, it is motivated by love. A godly goal is motivated by love. The Bible calls King David a man after God's own heart. Now, why? Well, because he loves God and because he loves God's people. King David was Israel's shepherd. And as Jesus showed us, a good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. That's what Jesus said in John 15. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. As you set goals for your life, and it could be a goal for your marriage, a goal for your family, for your finances, all kinds of goals, it's very important to ask this question, why do I want to reach this goal? What is the motivation? Because there's all kinds of things that can motivate us to reach goals. One motivation could be to simply prove something to yourself or to other people. Sometimes the motivation for reaching a goal is to prove others wrong. People who said, you'll never, ever achieve this. Now, sometimes <clears throat> our motivation can be this, to live up to the expectations of other people. You know, I've talked to students in college, and they have told me that they're majoring in a, in a subject area that they really don't love, but it was what their parents wanted them to do. And so it isn't really their goal that they're pursuing, but they're trying to live up to the expectations of somebody else. Sometimes... Your motivation in reaching a goal could be revenge. You just want to get even with the people who have hurt you. And sometimes when revenge is really your motivation, there's this anger that propels you forward and you try to reach that goal. But here's what I want you to see. The most powerful motivation for reaching a goal is simply this, love. Love is the most powerful motivation to achieve the goals that God wants us to, to achieve. And you know the greatest example of this is really Jesus, isn't it? Because why did Jesus come to this world? Why did he decide that he was going to become a human being? Why did he go through the agony of being arrested and beaten and crucified? Because he loves us. And because he didn't want us to face the future without him. And that really is the story of the gospel. It is the, the drama of redemption. Because the Bible is clear. It says that each one of us has a heart that, that pulls us away from God's plan and God's purpose. And when we violate God's commands, the Bible calls it sin. And this sin separates us from God because God is holy and just and has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And we know this from the scripture as well, that what we deserve for, for our sin is to die and be separated from God forever. But because of God's great love, he sends Jesus Christ to earth. And Jesus does what we could never do. He lives a perfect life. And then he lays down his life on a cross, and on the cross, an amazing thing takes place. God is willing to put your sin and my sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God 
is poured out on Christ. And you know, we just sang about this a few minutes ago in that song, In Christ Alone, about this wrath of God against sin and against sinners and how Jesus places himself between us and the wrath of God so that we can be forgiven. The Bible says that Jesus is crushed for our iniquities, for our sins. And so he dies the death that we deserve, but then God raises him to life, and Jesus says, hey, come follow me. I want to give you a brand new life. But here's what you need to do. You need to admit that you're a sinner, believe that I died and rose again, and choose to follow me. And this new life that Jesus calls us to live is a life motivated by what? Starts with an L, ends with an E, and has four letters. What is it? It's love. Following Jesus is a life motivated by love because we love God. The Bible says that we love God. Why? Because he first loved us. And so this, this life now is saying, thank you, God, for rescuing me, for loving me. But there's another side to it. God wants us to love our neighbor as ourself, to love the people that God has placed in our life. And so here's what I want you to see. When you set goals for your family, when we set goals as a church, even the goals for this campaign, they are motivated by love. My wife, Chris, and I were talking and praying the other day about what we're going to do in terms of our pledge for the campaign. And we were talking about the fact that, you know, our motivation for giving is love. We know as individuals that God has rescued us. He has saved us. And we want to see God rescue other people. And that's what motivates us to give, not just financially, but to give our time, to give our, our skills, to give ourselves to the mission of the gospel. And church, that is a characteristic of a godly goal. Now here's another characteristic. Number four, a godly goal requires a course of action. Because without a course of action, a goal is just a pipe dream. And to develop a course of action, you have to first clearly define your goal. Now, if I were to ask you, what is David's goal? You could probably tell me in two words. Kill Goliath. That's his goal. It's very straightforward, very simple. Now, he's got to have an action plan to accomplish his goal. And this is where the story gets really interesting and even humorous, because this is what happens. It says, then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. This is verse 38, if you've got your Bible open. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. And realize that tall is, it, Saul is really tall. It's one of the reasons he was selected as the king, because he was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. So he's this really big guy. And David is a teenage boy who probably hasn't even reached his full height. So just imagine this scene. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head, which probably would spin around. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Can you imagine what that looked like? He's got the king's armor. It's way, way, way too big. And then David says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. He didn't say, because they're way, way too big, king. I just, you know, I'm not used to them. And so he took them off. So now he has to have another plan, another course of action. And he does. Here's how the passage continues. Then he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's staff, chose five smooth stones from the stream. And by the way, some Bible commentators believe that Goliath had four brothers. That's why he took five stones. He put the stones in the pouch of a shepherd's bag and with a sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Now, what is David's goal? Two words. What's his goal? Kill Goliath. When? Now. Today. And have you ever noticed that unless you attach a date to your goals, they usually don't get accomplished. Now, when it comes to our campaign, we have some important dates that I want you to be aware of. One is a service that's going to take place two 
weeks from today. It's on November the 22nd. And this is going to be the day that we actually bring our pledges to the campaign. And so there's a very important question that we're going to need to answer, and it's simply this. God, how much do you want me to pledge to this church campaign? Now, last week, if you were here, we gave you some packets of information, and it had just a, a planning guide as you think about this and pray about it. And if you didn't get one of those packets of information, I would encourage you to do that after the service. There's actually a card in your program. You can fill it out, put your name on it, and exchange it for a packet of information. But this planning guide is intended to walk you through a process to determine what God wants you to give. It's an opportunity to read what the Bible says about giving, to pray. It's an opportunity really to experience the joy that comes from giving generously and sacrificially to God's work. Now this personal commitment guide had some suggestions <clears throat> and if you've looked at it, you know that there are a number of different ways that you can give. One way is giving out of current income over a three-year period. And it's amazing when you give consistently over time how those numbers really add up. Another way that you can give involves a change in your lifestyle or your priorities. For example, you could decide, you know what we're going to do? We're going to eat out a little less or we're going to reduce our vacation budget, things like that. Another way to give is by giving assets. Um, we've had people in previous campaigns um, give jewelry that was just sitting in a safe or in a safe deposit box to the church. You can give stocks and bonds and, and real estate, all kinds of assets. Another way that you can give is something called a gift in kind. And that involves donating services or materials either personally or through your business. I've already had a number of people talk to me about that as well. Now there's a worksheet in your personal commitment guide so that you can add up these different ways of giving and arrive at a specific amount that you want to pledge over this three-year period. And then on Sunday, November the 22nd, we're going to bring our pledges that morning and we're going to have one service. We're going to celebrate all that God has done for us. Now, on the first Sunday of December, this is another date for the calendar, we have something called our first fruit offering. And this will be the first offering of the campaign where you can begin to give the amount that you've pledged. And we'll be talking about those dates more in the weeks ahead. Well, here's another characteristic of a godly goal. It requires courage. It requires courage. Now, obviously, this teenage boy named David needs a lot of courage to reach his goal. Because how big is Goliath? Anybody have an idea? Have you heard what Bible scholars believe in terms of his height? I've read everything from 9 feet to 13 feet tall. Now, can you imagine? And this guy has been a warrior you know, from his youth. He's got massive armor. He has a spear, and the, the spearhead weighs 16 pounds. Can you imagine being able to throw something like that? And, and here's a teenage boy. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that David had any fear in his heart as he approached Goliath? Now, I think that he did, and here's why. Because courage is not the absence of fear, is it? Courage is stepping out in faith despite your fear. And that's so important for us as we try to reach godly goals. Whether that goal is in your marriage, um, in your family, in your finances, uh, giving to the campaign, we need courage to reach our goals. And one of the biggest reasons that we don't reach our goals is because of fear. The fear of failure, but also this, the fear of what other people think of us. Now David faced those same fears. Look at this verse this is verse 28. It says, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, and he's talking about going to fight Goliath, 
he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I mean, can you imagine how David must have felt when his older brother said that to him? And what about this? What does King Saul say to David? He says this. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he's been a fighting man from his youth. You can't do it. It's too hard. You're bound to fail. Have you ever heard that in terms of reaching your goals? Listen, church, there may be giants in your life right now that God wants you to defeat. And they have different names, don't they? Sometimes the name of that giant is anxiety or anger, discouragement, depression, pornography. And you'll hear voices in your head that tell you that giant is too big and, and too strong. You'll never win. You're bound to fail. You have before. So what do you do? You take a step of faith and then a second and a third. And I'll tell you what helps me overcome my fear when I'm pursuing a godly goal is simply realizing this, that if I achieve this goal, it won't just impact my life. It's going to impact the lives of so many others. And that brings us to another characteristic of a godly goal. It affects the lives of other people. A godly goal affects the lives of other people. You know, David's victory over Goliath became the catalyst for a great military victory. Now, what he does here affects every soldier in both armies. Check this out. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, remember the story, he hits him in the head with a stone and he dies? When they saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. I'd like to ask the, uh, the band to, to come up to the stage to get ready for a song that I'd like to close the service with this morning. And as they do, let me just say this about this characteristic that godly goals affect the lives of other people. You know, if you're married this morning and you have a godly goal for your marriage, that goal will not just affect you. It, it will affect your husband or your wife as well as you pursue that goal and as you achieve that goal. If you're a parent this morning and you have godly goals, those goals are going to affect your kids. In fact, the goals that we set affect people far, far into the future. And I realize that more the older I get, that the choices that I make today, the, the path that I pursue today is going to affect not just the lives of my kids but my grandkids. And think about this, church, when it comes to this campaign, now, as we try to reach these goals, are, are those goals going to affect us? Well, absolutely. But will they affect other people in the future? Well, yeah, they will. In fact, people we've never met will be coming to know Jesus Christ because of the choices and the goals that we've set as a church family. And that brings us to this last characteristic of a godly goal, is achieved with God's power. Achieved with God's power. Verse 50, 50 says this, So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And here's what I want you to see. Reaching a godly goal doesn't depend on your power. It doesn't depend on your intelligence or your wisdom. It doesn't depend on our creativity. It depends on the power of God. And church, listen carefully. The same power 
that raised Jesus Christ to life 2,000 years ago, that same power works in us today as we pursue godly goals.